The Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners, a free-flowing conversation with leaders in the HR community, talking about themselves, the industry, and their work. Brought to you in cooperation with NERA, the Northeast Human Resources Association. Welcome to the Hennessy Report by Keystone Partners. I'm Dave Hennessy, and today's guest was the keynote speaker at the NERA conference at the end of 2023. Her name is Jen Nash. She is the author of The Big Power of Tiny Connections, and she's an expert on making connections and the power of how that can impact our lives and our organization. She really impressed the audience at the sold-out NERA conference, and you'll enjoy our conversations, which we recorded right after her keynote. And next up on the podcast is my old friend and head of HR at T-SCAN, Ann Hargraves. And now our conversation with Jen Nash. Welcome, Jen Nash, to the Hennis Report podcast. Thank you for having me. Well, it's great being here with you after your great and powerful keynote this morning in Newport, Rhode Island at NERA 2023 conference. We had a packed house, sold out crowd, and we always start the Hennessy Report podcast the same way. Everybody gets the same question, Jen. What's an early life moment that as you look back on it now was an inflection point for who you've become as a professional, as a person? I grew up moving around a lot and I was born in Canada and we moved around Canada a bunch. And then when I was seven, we moved to Hong Kong. And then when I was 10, we moved to Tokyo. I didn't like losing all my friends. I didn't like losing my classmates and, you know, my actual class. And I think one of the reasons I am such a fan of talking about connection is because I started writing letters. Even as a little kid, I am the worst speller. Like if I showed you my journal from when I was seven, you'd be like, oh my gosh, you really can't spell. But um, I started writing letters at the age of nine, 10, and 11. I missed the kids I babysat. I missed my neighbors. Going through the challenge of moving a lot as a little kid created a personality shift where you realize you don't have a lot of time to make friends. You might only be there for a year. You might only be there for two. You just don't know. Mm. So you better jump right in. Uh, And you probably learned it can be easy at times, right? You can do it Mm -hmm. with all that Mm -hmm. repetition. Yeah. Starting over. Oh, yeah. yeah. I've had a lot of practice. Well, it's a great topic and it's timely. You know, your book, The Big Power of Tiny Connections, Small Interactions Spark Amazing Outcomes. I think it's so timely because loneliness is a bit of an epidemic, maybe not even a bit of an epidemic. I think it is an unconnectedness in our lives and at work. You know, we have a whole group of HR people here and the theme of this whole conference is connectedness. So maybe you could talk a little bit about the research you've done and the impact on our health, our brains, our teams, our organizations. And I know there's some stats that I get. In fact, you know what? I'm going to throw one out. This is page 183 of the Big Power Book said when companies support employees becoming friends at work, they support a happier workplace, which boosts employee satisfaction by 50 percent. And you also have some other stats that you yeah. said in your talk today that highly engaged workforces are 21 percent more profitable and 17 percent more productive. So huge. tell us more about yeah. this research and more importantly, what do we do with it? 
So I know that 60% of Americans right now are saying that they are lonely. And that's huge, right? That's higher than our divorce rate. Mm -hmm. In the book, I think it's in the second chapter, I actually talk about how this loneliness epidemic is sweeping the world. Japan now has more people that are deemed basically shut-ins than they've ever had before. It's in the millions. Almost no contact. No outside contact. And this is largely because historically, Japanese culture, the parents lived with the children until the parents were grandparents. And then they still lived with their children and their grandchildren. Mm -hmm. But because they've adopted North American living styles where everybody moves out and they go and get their own home, Mm -hmm. the elder generations are losing contact with everyone. Mm -hmm. Now, when we look at all the people who are choosing not to come back into the office, when we look at all the companies that are choosing to not have a primary office location, How is this not going to spark, you know, loneliness and disconnectedness? And the stats around disconnection are insane. Like the more disconnected your office workers are, it was like 37% more likely to have injury and safety problems. You know, it it costs us money to have disconnected staff. And I think at the end of the day, we have to lean into connection. Because this is not fluff, is what you're saying. No. This hits the bottom line. Yeah. This is really important. Companies oh. have to address it, right? Yeah. And the thing is, is when your employees have five or more friends, they're 62% yes. less likely to quit. And if they have more than seven friends, they're even less likely to quit, yeah, even, if, even if you offer more money. That's what you're saying. Yeah. 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 And so like, and it's so funny because I literally have this conversation with one of my coaching clients regularly. She's like, no, I just, I have too many friends. I've been there too long. I don't really care about the money. Really fascinating. Yeah. So what do we do next? Right. You say HR has to set the example. And then we also have HR. Did you say 98%? reporting burnout 78 78, yeah 78 percent of hr get my contact no 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 but it's still a big number it's a huge number (laughs) they're they're burnt out and they're overwhelmed and this honestly just breaks my heart which is why like the solution is taking time to connect with ourselves and i know that anybody listening is gonna roll their eyes and be like what time right but that's the thing we actually have to draw a red line around time for ourselves and how you do that and what you know fills you back up that's very personal mm-hmm. right and today in the session you have a lot of tips yeah people are journaling people are walking their dogs people are taking walks on the beach people are working out and people are also saying they're going to work out and then not working out mm-hmm. so we had a long conversation over scheduling we put time on our calendar for ourselves and then some we allow other things to yeah and the okay. sad thing is is it's not only robbing you of that self-connection that you really need, it's actually robbing your team. Because when you give that time away and you're not doing the connection work, you're actually losing touch with yourself. And when we lose touch with ourselves, we're not the empathetic leader that we need to be because we're disengaged, we're disembodied. We have to keep connecting so that we actually know where we're at. When you sort of can actually sit with your body and know this is how I'm feeling right now. I am well rested. I'm well nourished. I'm well meditated. However you say that you are coming from a place of groundedness, mm. right? But the problem is, is we let life steal that possibility 
because we say, oh, it has to get done or, oh, whatever. But the thing is, is this is exactly the scenario of put your oxygen mask on first. Mm -hmm. And if you don't put your oxygen mask first on in a plane and you pass out, your kids don't have a hope, right? Imagine you have a one and a two-year-old. They're not going to know how to put an oxygen mask on and mommy's passed out. Mm -hmm. It is that dire. And in a work situation, putting yourself first and also putting yourself forth as an example, how powerful. Right. Because when you're in a better space, you're going to connect better. You're going to lead better. You're going to actually be more empathetic. It reminds me of Covey's book. There's one that's urgent, that's important. And then there's the not urgent, but important. Mm -hmm. And do those things. Don't let the urgent things truncate the others, right? Yes. Uh, are there other things that HR can do to set the example for connectedness in their organization and or start some initiatives that feed that? So today in the workshop, I was talking about something that I've personally adopted that's really helped me reduce stress and anxiety. 14% because they have an assessment. So I know. And that's something called. <laughs> Congratulations. <Jen>. Thank you. <laughs> it's something called positive intelligence. It's a best-selling book. So Positive Intelligence was written about nine years ago by Shrizad Shermin, and it's literally a better understanding of how your brain works and how can you shift your brain out of this overwhelm and into what they call sage brain. And it is also backed by an app. And there is like a six-week training. It's literally 2% of your waking hours. Who does not have time for two minutes, six minutes a day to change how their brain works? And it's it's backed by over 800,000 brain scans. They went to Stanford and Harvard and they stuffed people in MRI machines before and after doing this training. The data is significant. That's amazing. Yeah, you change your neural pathways by doing these tiny little somatic sort of touches. All it is is connecting with yourself. And just doing that six times a day really does change how you show up for yourself and the people in your life, whether it's work or home. And actually, when you do it with leadership team, it gives you so much insight into What's going on in their brain? Because there's all sorts of fun assessments. And I know I know HR leaders love assessments, right. but positive intelligence will let you do a four-minute quiz that'll tell you what percentage of time your brain is fighting versus supporting you. Hmm. And they want you to be over 75% positive. Wow. That's their goal. They want everyone to be coming out at 75. And I'll, I'll let you in on a secret. When I did it and I was super stressed out, I was at 67. And when I finished the training, I was at 81. And that was seven weeks. That's great. Yeah, I felt better. That was the nice thing. Because I think at the end of the day, we think this stuff is for other people. Uh, HR sometimes. Yeah. Oh, we have to give it to our employees. But I think also we think as people. Yeah. Oh, one more thing for me to do. But like, if you're realizing that you are overwhelmed, if you're realizing you're, you're heading into burnout, you have a choice. Stay on that course or do something differently. Right. And then you gave a good example of something you can do. Yeah. Great. And what about for teams at work? Say you're not going to roll out that particular tool to your whole company. What are some of the things HR people do, can do to bring connectedness, more connectedness, to create those five to seven friends inside your organization and more engagement because of it? I love running connected leadership trainings at companies because it's literally so much fun to build friendship and to encourage them to see each other more as people and less as, you know, job descriptions. 
someone actually came up to me after the keynote and she goes, I've never thought of starting a slide deck with personal photos. And I actually came up on the spot with an idea. I said, what if you asked everybody that was in the meeting to just send you their favorite photo from the weekend? And you do it once a week. And, and everybody takes, has one from their phone for yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. Just text it to me. If you don't have one from the weekend, take one now, right? <laughs> and then send it, right? But like, right. So it's really not about the photo. It's more about what's Matthew love, right? right? right. And you're yeah. learning about that coworker. Right. When Isabel sends a photo of her kid winning a soccer trophy, we're in that moment with Isabel. And all of a sudden we see her more as a mom, less as a project manager. So these kinds of things grow the humanity. And right. You said like it'd be a silly hat or yeah. shirt or something. Your yes. favorite shirt that's colorful or whatever. You know, like, yeah. Just change it up. And yeah. Keep it fresh. There's like a million fun little ways right. of kicking off a meeting that don't take a lot of time, but all of a sudden everybody's like, oh my God, that was so much fun. That's good. One of the things that I shared today was, I call it the three X. It came from an IBM worker who put the words three X on the back of his door and nobody could figure out what it meant. Everybody was like, oh, you're looking to boost productivity three times. You're looking to boost for, you know, profitability. Ask, I think you said he would ask people, what does it take? Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it actually was a reminder to him to get up and walk the floor three times. And as he did to look around the office and see whose eye he could catch and who could he lean into um, a conversation with and who could he connect with mm. didn't really have to be about work. It was just like, be present, you know, be physically available and also get up and move. It's healthy. Mm. Right. And if you're in a remote situation, I think you can very easily randomly ping someone, right. like go through the list of people that you haven't talked right. to in the last Teams month. Teams of Slack. You exactly. Just show up. Your face can show up on their screen. Right? Yeah. And you can just literally say, Hey, when do you have a couple minutes? I just, it's been ages and I wanted to touch base and see how you were doing. Right. Yeah. It's just that simple. And, you know, people are always overwhelmed that way. But then once you get into the conversation, it's nice. It's interesting because in the book, I actually talk about different ways that teams can get more engaged. So for instance, PwC did this during the pandemic and a lot of companies have continued it because it's just such a lovely thing. And I actually love to do it. If you do not need to be visually connecting with someone, jump on a phone call instead of a Zoom and everybody goes for a walk mm. and we're all moving, but we're having a talk. And PwC actually assigned people who were in different groups to go for walks so they wouldn't talk about work. And it was a 30 minute walk where you would different go. Different geographies, different yep, functional yep, areas, yep, whatever. Exactly. Wow. And it was just like, hey, you know, hi, I'm John. I live in Midtown Manhattan. What's going on? Sorry, it's so loud. Forgive the sirens. And, you know, you know, you could be walking with someone in Ohio, right? That's really cool. Eventually, you're going to find a really good friend at work, right? Yes. Why not? I think HR probably has lots of ideas and they keep getting shot down. We don't have the money. We don't have the budget. Companies with connected workforces are four times more productive. Right. And so you want to be boosting your team productivity. You want to be doing anything you can because it, it will pay off. It absolutely will pay off. All right. Shifting gears here. Your chapter, Lies We Tell Ourselves. Mm -hmm. I really like that chapter. And it reminded me of a Seinfeld episode. I remember Jerry, you know how he did the monologue at the beginning? He might run into somebody that wants to be his friend and he'd say, well, you seem like a very nice person, but we're just not hiring right now. And you say, that's a lie we tell ourselves. Could you expand on that? And maybe more of those lies that we yeah. tell ourselves. 
I mean, I think everyone has a go-to lie when it comes to why they don't want to meet new people, why they don't want to go to a networking function, or why they're not going to stay after hours and do drinks at the office with the team, even though it's drinks Thursday. I have enough friends. I don't need to go. Is like such a classic fallback. We are cheating ourselves of all the fun that we just don't realize we're having. I'm too busy. I don't have time. Right. Okay. That's, that's a classic. So I always say, what can you do? Can you go for 45 minutes? Can you go until you've gotten three business cards? Mm. Can you go until you meet someone that's been on vacation in Croatia? In the book, I actually talk about how do you run around a room and just ask everybody one question? It's totally doable, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Because one of the comments you recommend if they go into a conference room or a networking session, they don't know anybody is just go up to somebody and say, hi, my name is, I don't know anyone else here. Mm -hmm. And that opens the door for a conversation. I really like that starter. It's funny because someone at the book signing said, I'm an introvert. And he was like, what are your tips? First of all, you got to know where you're at, right? You got to check in. And if you're feeling really awkward and uncomfortable, okay, I'm feeling really awkward and uncomfortable. And then turn to a person, preferably someone grabbing a drink and say, stuff like this makes me feel so awkward and uncomfortable. You just look like this is easy for you. What's your secret? So let's see, you've paid them a compliment. You've actually shared where you're at, which is very vulnerable. Right. And being vulnerable. You're not acting. You're just saying it's yeah, real. Yeah, and being vulnerable is literally the foundation of trust, right? So you're already laying a foundation of trust, which is amazing for like beginning because like, hey, how's your day? Doesn't give me anything. I know nothing about you. Or I really like this cheese. Didn't you have an example? Oh, yeah. I'm all about. Yeah. I got my first big internship standing by a giant cheese plate. And I literally just talked about the cheese to anybody that rolled by. (laughs) Because you love cheese. (laughs) Eventually, you find a cheese lover there, right? (laughs) Well, eventually, I got an internship at an ad agency. And he wanted a data entry person. I knew nothing about data entry. But I was like, I can learn. And so I ended up at a very hot ad agency back in the 90s. How about a surprising result? from a small connection that you have with, maybe that's somebody that didn't seem like they were influential when at first blush, or also the reverse too, where somebody reached out to you and you had a major impact for them because of that connection. Mm. For instance, you know, when I was a freelancer, I was matched by a recruiter with another woman named Jen. And so she was art and I was copy. And we were literally just working on ads for Sony cameras. It was fun. And within a month, we kind of just knew that we were going to be best friends, you know, and to this day, like 20 years later, she's one of my closest friends, right? Being working on something together. Exactly. In terms of changing other people's lives, I once met a bartender and he had just finished college and his major was interesting. And I, I was like, Oh, I know someone that can get you an internship. And literally two emails later, the kid had an internship. Wow. He's in the industry. Yeah. He's in the industry. And my, for instance, my goddaughter wanted a, a summer job, you know, this summer, believe it or not, my former PR guy for a hot second i ran a cryptocurrency investment platform that i actually founded what industry haven't you worked in yes (laughs) it's a very good question tugboats (laughs) i met a guy who worked in tugboats i was like that's fascinating i said what's your top concern and he said safety i said i know nothing (laughs) but yeah so jay who's in my pr world actually hired my goddaughter to be his summer intern. This is why one of the tips today was keep connecting, keep extending your network because our networks, they keep us safe, they catch us, they support us when we're out of work. Like they are the rock star foundation of our world. And I think 
the better your network, the healthier you are, you know, the happier you are. Well, you've proved it scientifically. Yeah, there's so much data around this. Did you say something about people that aren't connected or have or are lonely? They have the same body chemistry or mind chemistry of somebody that's obese or something. What was the exact? Yeah, no, literally loneliness actually expresses itself in our bodies with the same blood work as someone who's obese, someone who smokes 15 packs of cigarettes a day, has hypertension, you know, has literally dependence issues. Loneliness drives addiction, unfortunately, Mm. and it it never works out. Loneliness is really hard on our bodies, which is one of the reasons lonely people don't live as long. Hmm. And uh, back to organizations, Jen, what are some of the obstacles other than the things you've already talked about? that keep organizations from really focusing on this and fostering more connectedness? I think they just don't see a link between dollars spent Ah. and productivity slash profitability. They have to take the leap, Mm -hmm. right? You have to do the spend in order to get the results. But too many people want to sort of just go the old, drive the horse really hard, pay the horse well, and that's enough but it's not enough. We're not horses, you know? And it's like, we, we need to have a sense of purpose, engagement and joy. And I think when we bring in joy and fun and people wearing fun shirts and sharing photos from their weekends, all of a sudden people stay, people build friendships, people care, people show up as their full selves, you know, people are joyful. Right. That's right. And that's a reason to go to work. Well, and you give the evidence and your book, the big power of tiny connections. What's a letter of professional career advice? If you could write a letter to your 25 or 30 year old self going back, Jen, dear Jen, what would the advice be? I think one of the few regrets I have, and I'm lucky I don't have a lot, is unfortunately it's like a classic woman's regret. I I wished I had been more aggressive. I did take a lot of chances. Like I started a company when I was 27. Mm-hmm. I so I don't have regrets there, but in in my side hustle, I invest in real estate and I wish that I had been more aggressive. I mean, I don't actually know how I would have done it full time with a advertising agency job, but sometimes I'm like, huh, that, that really would have worked out and I might've had even more fun. Just take a little bit more chance earlier earlier and who cares if you fail? It's like, sometimes I know we're all just rolled up into the what happens when I fail. And it's funny because my cousin texted me this morning, you know, she was wishing me well, this is her version of wishing me well before the keynote. Just remember that nothing that we do really impacts anyone ever, ever, anywhere. It's really not a big deal. So no matter what, (laughs) just go have fun. (laughs) But like, when you think about how truly insignificant we are, in the scheme of things. Right. There's so much out there. You're not wrong. Right. So I I think just have more fun. And I wish I had understood self-connection better. Mm. Like it's taken me 50 years of being on earth to like really get what that will give me. And I'm still learning because if you know yourself and you know what feels good, you're going to make better choices. Like literally, you're going to make better choices of who you spend time with, how you spend your time, where you spend your time. And it's easier and harder than I ever understood. Well, we produced this podcast for a keystone in cooperation with NERA, but we always have the NERA question of the podcast. What advice would you give to somebody that's early in their HR career? Maybe they want to be the CHRO someday or want to be a leader inside their organization, another function. What advice would you give them? 
find someone that you think is great in that role, either at your company or at another company. Find them on LinkedIn, read the Wall Street Journal, find someone that you literally admire and aspire to step into those shoes and go and get them to be your mentor. Uh. Yeah, and ask the questions and set up a mentorship cadence that's reasonable for both of you. Maybe only talk for 30 minutes, six times a year, but you are going to value those 30 minutes like they are gold. And that person will probably give you a much more strategic point of view so that everything you're doing is very focused Mm. on stepping into being the most awesome, you know, CRO or whatever it is they want to be. But like, don't do it alone. You don't have to do any of this alone in life. We seem to think we do, but we don't. Right. What's something that you had a strongly held belief about something and it shifted over time and Mm -hmm. you actually modified your view or changed it completely? There's a lot of coaches out there in the last five years. And I was like, this is such a trend. This is hogwash. Oh, you are a major skeptic. Yes. On coaching. Yes, I was a coaching skeptic. But then when my life hit a boulder, I didn't know what to do. I was very lost and very stressed out. And I have a dear friend who had become a coach. And he said, I'm going to coach you for this long. It's going to cost you this much. You're going to pay me on these dates and you're just going to do this and we're going to change your life. Like my head's already on the floor and I'm looking at it. So life can't get any worse. So I said, yes. And within like three months, I was like, oh, crap, this works. (laughs) And so I was like, this is sort of what I wanted to do, but better with greater structure, greater outcome and having someone that you can go to while you're trying to sort of build a train and it's going makes me feel a lot less alone. If you could go to dinner with anyone in the world, who would it be? Rich Lippin, he's literally one of the most famous sought after coaches in the world, but I'm going to have my mom cook the meal because since she's passed, since she can be there, she would be so fascinating to have. And he's a former teacher and my mom's a former teacher. I'm just thinking this through. This is amazing. They would have a blast. I would be able to ask him all the questions that I want to ask. And then, of course, I get to see my mom and give her a hug. And it's, you know, it's been eight years. So that would be very nice. So that would be a dinner that I would not miss. Jen, it's been so great having you here at the conference and having you as a guest on our podcast. Thank you for making the time. Appreciate it. This was so fun. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners. Be sure to subscribe to listen to all of our conversations with leaders in HR. Go to keystonepartners.com and click on the podcast button.